0: Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty podcast here on the Raised with Jesus podcast series. My name is Jeremy Lightman. I'm here with my co-host Michael Zarling, and we have no guest for you today. This is a special Pentecost edition of Thirsty. Uh, we thought we would just jump right in with the uh,
1: readings. Yeah, one, one thing, the reason we don't have a guest isn't because Jeremy and I didn't line one up, but... I got a message earlier, earlier this morning from our guest that his daughter was injured and he was taking her to the hospital. So we pray for the pastor and his daughter and family that everything's fine and we'll get him on a subsequent podcast.
0: Yes, all the best to them and theirs. Um, our gospel today comes from John chapter 7. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and called out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. As the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from deep within the person who believes in me. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive. For the Holy Spirit had not yet come, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So uh, this is kind of a fitting thing to discuss because it's the end of the school year and there's a lot of celebrations going on uh graduations and confirmations and so forth. Uh but we have here in this reading a special focus on a festival. Uh the context of John 7 is that the Jews were celebrating the festival of shelters or sometimes called the festival of tabernacles. Uh, Pastor Zarling,
1: what was involved in this Jewish festival? Yeah, so it's interesting, Jeremy, is as I was looking at this text to see, you know, what I've preached on it before is that I've never preached on this text because this is brand new to our pericope, to our lectionary. It's never been used in our Wisconsin Synod for Pentecost. I think, I don't think even anywhere else during the year, but I could be wrong on that, but uh, it has been used in other Lutheran lectionaries, and so now it's in ours. And it is fitting uh, for a Pentecost festival, but like you said, about the Feast of Tabernacles. So a tabernacle, as the EHV translates it, is a shelter. And so what the Jews are commemorating is that uh, as Moses and the children of Israel have uh, exited Egypt and they are now complaining because they're thirsty and Moses strikes a rock and water comes out from the rock and so uh, that's going to be the way that the Israelites are going to celebrate that festival of Thanksgiving for generations to come of living in shelters or tabernacles uh, for a week. Now you mentioned before we started recording that this is a, it takes a couple of episodes in an arc of the chosen, right? I think there's one episode
0: in particular that focuses on, they make up a little booth or a ta- shelter a dwelling place where they have their meal um and uh, this was kind of like a a a lot of times it would be like a father-son getaway almost did you ever uh growing up on the farm did you well you probably had chores to do so Did you ever go out in the woods and make a fort with old limbs and branches of trees?
1: No, but I did what a lot of kids did. We did it in the house with blankets and sleeping bags and things like that. But no, we had actually wild things living in our woods. (laughs) We didn't really want to go out out that far. No, but I don't know. Did you do that? It would would be when, usually
0: it was when we visited my grandparents in New Minnesota, and they had a ravine behind their house and we'd, uh, kind of clambered, down, climbed down the ravine, and uh, we, with the woods back there, we'd find old limbs and put put together a fort, and uh, that was kind of our home base. And and we'd have games or imagination things that we would do. But you'd always go back up at the end of the night and uh, go in to eat dinner and not go back and spend the night there. That's what the the Israelites were doing. Is even though they had their homes. They had to go and live in these uh, shelters that they would make for themselves as temporary places to remember their time in the wilderness. And I also think as we're having this discussion, it's going to be important not to conflate or confuse that there are two festivals going on um, that we're talking about in this reading. We're reading this on the festival of Pentecost, but this is a separate celebration that they had. The Israelite people, the
1: festival of shelters. So, then with that, Jeremy, what is the Old Testament festival of Pentecost all about? Yeah, that's in the reading. I always like to point
0: out in Acts chapter 2, where it says, When Pentecost came, and everybody kind of thinks in the New Testament era here that we are having, uh, oh, that they were having Pentecost and they had their red pyramids up and they had uh, singing, Come Holy Ghost. No, they were having a completely different festival called Pentecost. It was 50 days after the Passover, and it was a harvest festival. Uh, they, in Israel, you can grow your crops uh, at several times a year that we we don't necessarily our farmers don't do that. Uh, in at least in these northern climates during the winter, but you can you can grow uh, like a winter or a, a early spring crop. Uh, in Israel, and then they would harvest it uh, right around what we today call June, or early, late May, early June.
1: Yeah, so like you said, they're having several different harvests of several different crops. So uh, my daughter, Belle, and I, over the last few days, and we finished today getting our garden in, and my wife is kind of concerned about the amount of plants that we planted, uh, because I think I planted like 60 potato plants and probably 40 tomato plants, and 40 peppers, and then 205 snap peas. So and basically
0: the, what the moral of the story
1: is, is you can take the boy off
0: the farm, but you can't take the farm out of the boy.
1: Well, it took me 50 years to plant a garden. You know, I, I didn't do it until, until I wasn't quite so smart anymore. And now it's just going to be me and my wife and my youngest daughter for one more year. And I've got this huge garden. Uh, and then uh, like 85 cucumbers too. But it's only the vegetables I like. Those are all the ones that I planted, but doing a lot of canning and things. And I'm going to guess that the the Jews, they would have had to do not canning, but they would have been doing pickling and salting and things like that to be able to keep everything so it doesn't rot over over time. So I think people might hear that this festival of the harvest,
0: this Pentecost, was not the coming of the Holy Spirit in the Bible at least. Uh, the Old Testament, Pentecost, and they might think, well, then why aren't we having a harvest festival in Pentecost? And and the answer is in Colossians 2, it says that all of those celebrations and Sabbaths and everything were a shadow of when Christ would come and what he would do. So how what is the uh, fulfillment of, uh, what what's the New Testament way to celebrate Pentecost?
1: Yeah, and I think, I think the way you set it up is to think of Pentecost then as a harvest festival of of souls. I don't think I've put it that way before. Is uh, you have the hundred twenty disciples. So this is the. 11 disciples, they have replaced Judas with Matthias by this time. And then you have Mary, the mother of James, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and so forth there. Uh, And other male and female disciples besides the 12. And they're all gathered together in the room. I don't know if it's the same upper room as, uh, it just says the room. And I think a lot of times we assume it's the same upper room where they celebrated the Lord's Supper. But that's got to be a big room for 120 people. Uh, but they're all gathered together, and then they have the, the sound of the rushing wind, which is interesting uh, that the word that we translate for wind is, in the Old Testament is ruach. And the word that we translate for wind from the Greek in the New Testament is pneuma. But they're both also translated spirit, wind, spirit, a wind spirit in both Hebrew and Greek. And so it's interesting. You have the wind and the sound of the wind and then the coming of that wind of the spirit with tongues of fire on the disciples' heads. And you mentioned before of the red pyramids. And uh, so there's only two times that we use red in the Christian church year. It's red for Pentecost and that one is for uh, the the red flames of the Holy Spirit, and then later on for the end times with uh, with the blood of martyrs for reformation and so forth. But with that too, uh, I was just really excited yesterday. I was at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary for call day as after waiting two and a half years for an associate and being told no 16 times of calling guys and then going to the seminary twice. God finally gave us the right guy at the right time, uh, Nate Klusmeier. And and the reason I bring that up here is he was asking afterwards, uh, he goes, do I need to buy my own stoles? And I said, no, we'll get you stoles. And the first one we'll get him is the red one that would be placed on him at, uh, at his installation on June 9th and uh, it would be a pretty big deal to be able to place that red stole of marking him as a pastor. So, Jeremy, what else goes on with at this Pentecost festival? The Old Testament or New Testament? New Testament Fe- Pentecost festival. Because I mentioned the, the tongues on of flames on their head, the, the sound of the rushing wind. Uh, they spoke in other languages, and uh, that's
0: important to remember that they were— Languages which people could understand. They weren't just speaking gibberish. Uh, A lot of times today people will say that they're speaking in tongues uh, when It's not any language that follows the rules of grammar or human communication Uh, On the positive side That's a wonderful piece of news for us that the Holy Spirit wants to communicate with us in uh, in a way that we can understand he wants to get his message across um i know that you can um see again I, I keep picking on other religions i should i should focus on the positives but in islam it's not uh legitimate to uh, it it's not, you're not really getting the pure message of the quran when you're reading it or hearing it in a translation uh muslims would say You need to hear it and know Arabic, and you need to hear it in Arabic in order for it to be legitimate. And uh, the good news for us as believers in Christ is that we don't have to uh, hear the message in the Greek or Hebrew. Those are important, and we need to study that, but uh, you can still get the Holy Spirit through the language that is communicated in, in your own tongue.
1: Going back to this gospel lesson then, uh, so Jesus is celebrating the festival of shelters. and One of the things that I learned as I was studying this text to preach on it is that uh, because this is a festival where they're thanking God for the water from the rock, at the last day of the festival, that the A priest or high priest would bring a gold pitcher down to the pool of Siloam and then carry it to the altar and pour it out. And that helps make sense of what Jesus says when he calls out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. As the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from deep within the person who believes in me. And that's an allusion, I think, to Isaiah 44, verse 3. Do you want to read that and maybe explain that, Jeremy? Uh, It
0: says, God says, I will pour out water upon a thirsty land and streams of water upon dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So you definitely have there the picture of us being spiritually dead and dry and bankrupt. uh, And God mercifully just pours out Water. He he makes us fruitful. Uh, he makes us able to talk about Jesus. We can um, say true things about Christ, uh, even in spite of our sinfulness. Uh, he has purified us and washed our sins away. There's another water analogy that you could use. And then um, he he even empowers us to sing, uh, to speak, uh, and uh,
1: spread his message. So I'm going to throw this one out to you, Jeremy, because I haven't written my sermon yet for this Sunday on this text. And usually I would be by this time, but I had to preach for our WLS graduation service Thursday night, and then I was gone all day celebrating with our new pastor at the seminary. So I was wondering about this as kind of a theme. This is whatever you have to tell yourself. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> is what do you think of this like a theme of from feast to feast, kind of explaining the Feast of Tabernacles to the Feast of Pentecost. But I'm trying to figure out to do that, but not be boring, (laughs) you know? Um, I think that sounds like a very reasonable,
0: um, it it would be good because it would explain that we're talking, this, this reading from John 7 is talking about one festival, and then there is this other festival, and then even this other festival that, used to be called Pentecost is different from our current celebration of Pentecost. So I, I think setting it out very clearly in the uh, in the theme with there there's more than one feast that we're, there's more than one festival that we're talking about here. Um, is, there, is there like a, a verb that, is there like an action going on that you want to?
1: I, I don't know. I, like I said, I haven't thought of it too much. I'm trying to, like I said, because I can get really deep into all of the geek, geeky stuff is we're the talking about.
0: A, do you want it to be an imperative, like telling people to do something, uh, or do you want it to be like this is this is the action that is that you need to take home with you and find comfort in? Yeah. Like the Holy Spirit's action or Jesus's
1: action. Because listening to you, I think I could go like from the feast uh from feast to feast of the Feast of Shelters, to the Feast of Pentecost, to the Feast of the New Testament Pentecost, Pentecost, to the Feast of Celebrating the Living Water, or the Water of Life, of enjoying uh, the waters of baptism, but also now enjoying the the new ministry of our new pastor and the Feast that we're going to celebrate, on Lord willing, on July 9th. So just kind of tying that all together. But just kind of talking out loud because I have to write a sermon soon. That's a good way to talk. It's out loud. <laughs> it is. Well, usually I talk just to myself real quietly. Because I always say, at least that way there's someone interesting if, if I'm just talking to myself. So
0: in verse 39, uh, it, it explains the thing that Jesus meant when he said that, uh, that there would be streams of living water pouring up from or welling up from within a person and in verse 39, John explains that that's talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that happened on the Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. So what was, um, I, I think I already answered this question. What was Jesus talking about with the streams of water
1: flowing from him? Right, and I, I think that we would not know the answer unless John gave us the answer by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because it doesn't... Uh, You know, it doesn't really say, I don't think I would get, you know, what John says by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were going to receive, unless John tells us that's exactly it. And I think what Jesus is getting at here is that uh, he does pour out the Holy Spirit on people before this, because the people are believers. The disciples are believers. They have the power to go out and perform miracles in Jesus' name. But it's that. Extra outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, Uh, and and this would this would come about through Jesus' resurrection, ascension, and then Pentecost. So, I know, Jeremy, is there anything else that you want to talk about in the work of the Holy Spirit? Because that's what we really focus on with Pentecost, and for our listeners. The way I teach this a lot of times to teens and adults is that we in the Lutheran church have three festivals uh, and they each focus on one person of the Trinity. That Christmas, we oftentimes as a celebration of the son, but it's really a celebration of the father's gift to the son, that of the son. And that's why we give gifts to each other. Easter is a celebration of Jesus Christ rising from the dead and Pentecost, then, is the festival of the Holy Spirit. So anything you want to talk about in in mind with the Holy Spirit? It, it
0: really just comes back to uh, what you were saying before about the biblical words for spirit, which are equal to breath, which are equal to air. And uh, th- this is such a critical thing to th- how God works. He works through air that like right at this moment, there is air being pushed across my vocal cords. Air is what is filling my lungs and then allowing me to talk. Um, it air is how we communicate with each other, and that's a very powerful thing. Our words are very powerful. Uh, you need to be careful how you use your words. Um, uh, oxygen is so vital to staying alive, and there, there there are just so many things that we we could we could dive into. When it comes to this is how the Holy Spirit works. Um, And maybe I would just tack on the end uh, just because I recently had a student that or a couple of students that were referring to the Holy Spirit as an it. Hmm. And uh, I I was trying to make it very clear to them. No, the Holy Spirit is a person, uh, not a thing. And uh, it's a it's a it's a personal wind. It's a person personified I don't know if even that's the right way to say it, but uh, it's a person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity, and uh, it's a person of the Trinity who who works by wind or breath.
1: Yeah, and when you're talking about the Holy Spirit and wind, the Bible verse that comes to mind is that the wind blows wherever it pleases. Mm. You know, that's the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. And there, I was talking to a pastor, uh, one of our home missionaries at the seminary yesterday, and. He was telling me about one of the ladies that he has in his class, uh, adult confirmation class. Uh, Three years, he's been working on her. And uh, I was telling him about a family that just recently contacted me about going through a baptism class and then adult confirmation class. And you just don't know. You work and work on people. It can be our students at Wisconsin Lutheran School. Uh, your students at Shoreland and you work so hard. And I don't know if you're like me, Jeremy, but I can get disappointed thinking, oh, I'm not getting through to these kids, you know, that their faith isn't deepening or I don't even see the faith there. And then later on they come back and, you know, th- they thank me and uh, and maybe maybe not even thank me, but like Paul says, uh, you know, that one guy, one guy uh, planted the seed, the other guy watered and the other guy bore the fruit. Sometimes it may not even be you and I ever get to see where the wind of the Holy Spirit has blown, but he used, like you said, our vocal cords, our words from the pulpit or in the classroom. And then later on, he's brought them to faith or deepened them in faith. I'm trying to find this
0: in, I, th- I think it's Zechariah, but um, another, you you mentioned the um, passage of John 3, the wind blows wherever it wants to. I think it's Zechariah where it it says um how is God's how God's people it had to do with the uh, um rebuilding Jerusalem and the temple after the captivity in Babylon and uh there the Jewish people were wondering how is this going to get done and Zerubbabel and Shealtiel uh um were the the leaders of that work and God's they were wondering how is this going to get done and the prophet told them, not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, which is, that's, that's again that word for breath. It's, it's not by power or not by um, uh, influence, but by talking is how this work is going to get done.
1: Uh, yeah, and that, that talking, I think, is a big part of our Lutheran worship. You know, that, you know, how much talking there is. It's an, about an hour worship service, probably about an hour and 10, an hour and 15 minutes of pure talking. It's me talking. It's the congregation responding with their talking. And sometimes it's a lot of talking, but with notes and singing. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit is working through the words. Should we get into the epistle lesson? Yes. Epistle comes. The epistle is First
0: Corinthians, chapter twelve, beginning with verse three. Paul writes, "Therefore, I am informing you that no one speaking by God's Spirit says, A curse be upon Jesus,' and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are various kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of ministries, and yet the same Lord. There are various kinds of activity." but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. Each person is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one person, a message of wisdom is given by the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge, as the same Spirit provides it. By the same Spirit, faith is given to someone else. And to another, the same Spirit gives healing gifts. Another is given powers to do miracles. Another, the gift of prophecy. Another, the evaluating of spirits someone else, different kinds of tongues, and another, the interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit produces all of these, distributing them to each one individually as he desires.
1: So, Jeremy, what does Paul mean when he writes, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit?
0: If you uh, are at a Christian church and they are telling you to believe in Jesus and uh, to accept Him into your heart, and you walk up to the front of church when they ask you to, and you say, uh, I accept Jesus into my heart, Uh, it already happened. Mm -hmm. You already were a believer before you spoke those words, because you cannot say, Jesus is Lord, unless the Holy Spirit empowers you to do that.
1: Right, and that's what I was thinking too, is... Uh, the believer's prayer that sometimes in books uh you're making your decision the acceptance of christ the altar call that's where lutheranism is so different from other christian denominations in america and around the world is uh they put the active tense and that's the way i teach it is they're putting the active tense on the believer that he or she has to do something But as Lutherans, we put that in the passive tense, that something is done to us, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So uh, how does Paul teach the doctrine of the Trinity in verses 4 to 5? Well, he says there are various kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit, so that's the Holy Spirit. There are various kinds of service, and yet the same Lord, and so that's Jesus. And there are various kinds of activity, but the same God, that's God the Father who produces them all in everyone. And there I think of, we're going to focus more next week on our podcast and the the scripture readings that focus on the Trinity, our three-in-one God. And now you and I were talking about this beforehand with things like uh, waiting until married to have sex or infant baptism. And I think the same thing is with the Trinity, that there isn't a specific Bible verse that you can pick pick at that says, uh, The trinity, the the triune God. You put all these verses together and say, all right, there isn't a one clear verse that says, this is our three-in-one God. There's a lot of verses we put together and say, all right, here is our three-in-one God, and here's two verses. Uh, The Corinthians were having trouble properly using their spiritual gifts. The specific problems come to light in chapter 14, so that's two chapters later, What truth does Paul point out in verses 4 through 6, Jeremy, that makes such selfishness an obvious sin against the Lord?
0: It's basically thinking that God doesn't know what he's doing or that God doesn't know how to be fair. Uh, He is giving different people different gifts. And uh, when we look at one another's skill sets or abilities, we might think, uh, well, how come I can't do that? Why why don't I have that skill and maybe I want to get that skill? And uh, even as hard as I might try, I, I never am able to do that. Uh, and so I end up thinking that God is unfair um, because he hasn't given me the same gift that he gave to somebody else. And Paul's point here is that um, the, you you have gifts of your own And uh, they may be different from other people's gifts, but they all, what is equal or what is the same is the place that they come from. They all come from uh, the same
1: father who loves us and is generous with each of us. When there are two things come to mind, I was talking to someone yesterday and she was explaining about her teenage son and how he was open and honest with her of saying, hey mom, I think these are things I like to do. But these are the gifts that I think God is bringing out in me and I have to do these kinds of things. And I think that's fantastic for a teenager to look at that because, you know, we as adults like need to do that too. Because we oftentimes, uh, you know, we're called to do something in the church. We're oftentimes only doing the things we want to do. Maybe Mm -hmm. not necessarily the things that uh, we need to grow into doing better. Mm Uh, and there are two I think of, uh, one of our members had asked before, we, we knew that we were getting a guy from the seminary, we didn't know who he was. And one of our members asked on Facebook, do you think he's going to know who Din Djarin is? And I said, well, I can explain who Din is. And that's the Mandalorian. And I don't know, it, I, I don't know if Nate knows Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and so forth. And then someone told me, yeah. But you don't want someone that's exactly like you, Michael. You can have someone that's the opposite uh, to be able to complement gifts. And I think that's a thing too. Uh, and it's more, this is more of a business thing. I don't know if you were ever taught this, Jeremy. Years ago, we were being taught, well, look at your gifts, see what you're good at, and then work at what you're not good at. Mm. Now we're being taught, look at what you're good at. And focus on those things because you're really good at those things. And a lot of times that's where your passion is. Mm-hmm. And then find someone else who's good at the opposite things. And then, you know, that's why you and I marry wives who are better than us. So they can compliment us. That's true. Yeah.
0: Uh, I'm so glad that this question falls to you to answer. <laughs> can we today expect to be given all the spiritual gifts that Paul lists? Yeah,
1: I was glad it fell to me too because I'm going to give a Jeremy answer. No. <laughs> uh, n- no. While well, while well, the Almighty God can do everything He's promised.
0: No, no, no. That it would have been the Jeremy answer if you would have waited for me to come in and save you. Oh, yeah, that's that's what I do to you.
1: Oh, is it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, thanks. Uh, God can give gifts. I don't want to say that He do- He does not do these things, but He doesn't promise these well, which, things. Which
0: ones are you talking about? Because I think. Some like it, it, it would be good to yeah. zero in on. There, there are some of these that he does definitely still give, and others that are questionable, and others that he, I, I think, we would say he doesn't. Well, why don't you why don't you go through each one, and we'll just kind of discuss them that way. Uh, so each person is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. That's verse seven, and uh, to one person is a message of
1: wisdom. Uh, message of knowledge. So, so let's talk about the wis- Message of wisdom. What do you think that is? Uh,
0: that it, it makes me think of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. You've got Proverbs. Uh, I don't know if a, a good way to think of this would wisdom would be common sense, right? Um, yeah, I don't think everyone has a gift of common
1: sense. I, I was just going to say, hopefully, everybody has that, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I think. I think of wisdom is, it's deeper than knowledge. We're going to look at, you know, the next one is a message of knowledge. But I think wisdom is being able to, like we were saying before of like a sermon, not just have an interesting sermon, but it has to be an interesting sermon that has law and gospel. And that's hard. That's mm-hmm. hard to do. And 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 not be boring in it because it's easy to be boring and say, you're a sinner, you're going to hell hey, Jesus died for you, you're going to heaven. No, you have to uh, tie it into the scripture lessons. And uh, that's why we go to school for eight eight years beyond high school. And I think of that because I was talking to two of our graduates from WS yesterday, and I said, Lord willing, 12 years from now, which is about how old they are, they're about 13, 14, but 12 years that I would be at their call day at the seminary. That takes a lot of wisdom of twelve more years of high school, college, and seminary. So, what what about a message of knowledge? Would that be like um,
0: just being a, a wealth of what someone might call a wealth of knowledge that you you have a lot of facts, you have a lot of um, uh, resources. You're kind of a walking library or a walking Wikipedia um
1: kind of like when i do the podcast with you i have to i don't have a lot of knowledge so i have to do a lot of research you just come in because you seem to have a lot of the knowledge in your head uh i
0: i have a freakish memory for trivia but see as soon as i say that i need to back it up by saying um it's it's not dependable it, <laughs> it will it will things will pop into my head that are useless in a moment but uh and maybe interesting at times but never the stuff that, like, you need to have at the at a moment's notice. Um, what the, here's a tough one. The faith is verse nine. Um, so, th- why wouldn't that be for all all believers or all Christians are given a message of faith? Yeah, or, uh, uh,
1: uh, faith is given
0: to, to someone, someone else.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm taking that then is if the Spirit is giving it, and He's giving it to one person or another. I don't think that's saving faith, right? Okay. Yeah. So that's more of it. It's more. It's more. There,
0: there are specific things that God has said that are harder for people to believe, and uh, that's why there there are some of us who uh, are given a faith in specific words of God or promises of God that. Uh, so that so that there is at least somebody in the church who's believing this thing that God said uh whereas you know if if it's if it's I don't know maybe a good example would be um the six day creation that it's something that a lot of Christians really struggle with they see uh so-called scientific evidence uh that's maybe not all that scientific but it's very compelling and they think, I don't know if I can totally buy into a six-day creation. I, I'm, I have a hard time with that. And then there are other Christians that say, oh, yeah, I, I believe that. That's a specific word from God.
1: Yeah, or I think of a conversation I had with a mom last night after the graduation service. And, and I was asking her if her son was going to be going into our preschool. And she said, he's not talking yet. You know, was a four-year-old. And so she was thinking, I think he might be autistic. And for a mom like that and then her husband to be able to have faith that, like the the sermon text I preached on last night, that God has a plan for this little boy and a plan for that family, that's tough. And this is the same family that I did the funeral for their son probably about five years ago who had died a week after being born. That takes a special kind of faith, I think, to be able to get through those kinds of difficult things with their kids. Or like Mm -hmm. the guest we were supposed to have on today and taking uh, his child to the hospital and Mm -hmm. saying, oh, God's going to work this out. That's that's a special kind of faith. So healing gifts, same verse. There I would say that those are ones we don't see. Uh, I know there are lots of preachers, uh, not wells, who say that... uh, they have the gift of healing. I I even heard a podcast where a guy was talking about how he and he personally had raised, I think 10 people from the dead and his team had raised a total of 50 people from the dead. That's some pretty powerful healing. But, and these are the, I would say charlatans who Hmm. are then raking in all kinds of money from sincere believers who believe these things, but I think there they they're missing that, uh, uh, that, uh, gift of wisdom, you know, the gift of common sense because all you have to do is everyone has a cell phone in their pockets right now. If someone really could heal someone and, you know, the same guy said I make their leg grow longer One, you know, these people have a shorter leg than the other. Well, take a video of that. Take a video of someone raising someone from the dead, mm. uh,
0: I I want to just lump in then the the one that comes after that uh, the healing gifts the powers to do miracles I think mm-hmm. we're talking about right. the same thing and I think that uh there's at least two other explanations um the the one is that this could be a total fraud mm-hmm. um the other is that this could be uh miracles that God is allowing people to do um it, it, there's not. It, it, it's certainly not impossible for him. And uh, unless there's a passage that we can point to and say he has definitely said that these things are going to stop um, happening in the church, then it, it's certainly possible that God could be doing those miracles. But uh, then I think what is also just as likely is that the devil has power and that the devil can uh do supernatural things and uh when we have people that are chasing after miracles or being wowed by uh, a resurrection from the dead allegedly um that is going to distract them from reading their bibles and going to church on sunday morning
1: right yeah i was going to say the same thing uh as like you said three three options one is it's a fraud Two, it's from the devil, but it's real. Three, it's real and it's from God. And what we need to do is, before we just say it's one of the first two, or even it's one of any of those three, we go to that that preacher and listen to his message, not just watch the miracles. Mm -hmm. The miracles that Jesus and the apostles did and the prophets of the Old Testament, it was always to draw people into the message. Mm, And... I think the, the people that are trying to do these miracles today, it's apart from their message. And so we have to very closely listen to the message and judge them based on that.
0: Uh, do you take the gift of prophecy here to mean, um, again, sort of a supernatural foretelling of the future? Or is this uh, what I always like to teach my students? Prophecy is
1: being a sound system for God. Right. I don't know, I was listening to uh, the preacher's podcast on this, and Professor Tiefel, now retired from the seminary, he was taking, I forget which way he took this now, because you're right, it can be one of two ways, and different commentaries will say it uh, either way, and so I, I'm not going to come out and say that one commentary or one professor is wrong
0: or right. If there, yeah, at the very least, we can say this it could still be around in the form of preaching, because preaching is speaking the words of God, and that's what prophecy is. Um, evaluating of spirits, I think we definitely have that today. We uh, And it's interesting that it's worded as evaluating of spirits, because it's possible for a false teacher to say all the right words. And you can't, if you had to do it in a court of law, You would not be able to lawyer him out of uh, saying that he's a a false prophet because he never actually said anything explicitly against the Bible. Uh, But that's why I think it's in one of John's epistles, 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John, where he says, test the spirits. He doesn't say test the words because false prophets can use words any way they want and still say the right thing. But what is the spirit of what they're saying?
1: And there, I always think of uh, when I was a vicar down in Atlanta, Georgia, we went to there when the Falcons were, uh, Atlanta Falcons were playing in the stadium, Billy Graham filled up the stadium with 60,000 plus teenagers. And so my wife, Shelly, and I went and I remember it being a very good sermon. I think mm-hmm. it would be a Lutheran sermon on John three sixteen. Because yeah. I was I was evaluating the spirits, but then he messed it all up, in that he would had the altar call, and and but that's what you say, you, like you were saying is you you test the spirits, you evaluate and say, all right, this is good, and I think that's one of the things that you and I do. I think a lot of our Wells people might do when we're listening to something that's not Wisconsin Synod, is, you know, yesterday when I was listening to the preacher at the seminary uh, two weeks ago when I was listening to the preacher at Martin Luther College, their call day and graduation, I didn't have to evaluate the spirits. Mm. I, I trusted them. But when I'm listening to a Catholic priest at a funeral, when I'm listening to a Baptist minister on a podcast, I'm putting a lot of energy into finding, all right, they they have a different spirit than I do. They're They're probably going to say something that's wrong. You mentioned the Catholic priest at the funeral, and I remember
0: attending a family, a relative of a, a member of my church, at a Catholic funeral, uh, and the the priest was saying, "Yes, Warren is approaching heaven. Mm-hmm. Warren is the deceased man is approaching heaven," and uh, yeah. What about um, this? And now this was probably one of the most contentious ones: uh, different kinds of tongues and the interpretation of tongues.
1: Right. And again, those T V evangelists I guess I listen to a lot of podcasts and I was listening to another podcast where a guy felt like he this this preacher, he said that he was the cause of everything stopping in Tiananmen Square in China. And he felt as a teenager the Holy Spirit come on him and then I thought he everything's racist nowadays, but this what I thought was kind of racist or xenophobic, he just kinda of said some things that were gibberish, but kind of sounded like they were Chinese. Hmm. And uh, he said the Holy Spirit came on him to be able to speak in this Chinese language that he had never learned before. At least he... Was he at Tiananmen Square? No, he was like here in the United States. I'm sorry, yeah. And... But then what good would it have done for it? That's what I, that's why I was asking. He, yeah, I, kind he of was, thought, I
0: kind of thought you were
1: saying he was not there. Yeah, he. Was, but he was praying in the spirit and then all of a sudden that stopped and the, the tank stopped and didn't roll over the people hmm. in China and Tiananmen Square and so forth. But there's lots of examples of this around uh, of people trying to be able to speak in tongues. I think of one of my neighbors down when I was pastor in Kentucky she had come to our church a handful of times and I went to visit her and encourage her to come to church more often. And she said, well, I need to go, I think it was a seventh day Adventist church and they were speaking in tongues. And she said, my mother-in-law and husband are really pushing on me to be able to speak in tongues. So I just fake it. Hmm. (laughs) I, I was going to try to be a little bit tricky and
0: snarky and say, um, you know, just last week we had a guest on this podcast where uh, there's speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues at his church, but it's where oh. people can speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. It's not just a made-up language or or some kind of otherworldly language. It's it's this this is I'd say a legitimate way we can say there's still tongues and interpretation of tongues is uh, when you've got a multi-ethnic congregation and some of them are. Uh, Spanish speakers and some are English speakers, and there needs to be communication across those lines and interpretation of what is being said.
1: Right, because that's a good point. Because Paul says elsewhere with the gift of tongues, I think it's in chapter thirteen where he talks about uh, that you have to be able to not just be able to speak in tongues, but have someone there to interpret it. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying with the pastor, or even you, if you got up here and preached, and it'd be a fantastic sermon in German. And yet it's not going to be edifying to very many people here because none of us speak German. Mm-hmm. But if you had someone that you spoke in German, or maybe we got a guest preacher from Germany, he preached, you interpreted every sentence like the pastor and our last week's podcast that he does for their multi or bilingual services, then it's edifying. And that's, I think, what Paul's talking about here. So then wrapping it all up, what... Great purpose are these various spiritual gifts serving? They're uh, well. I just got done teaching
0: Revelation for my uh, junior religion class, and you have that vision of the woman giving birth to the Son of God. Uh, that is the Church, and she has the crown of twelve stars and the moon at her feet, and her clothing shines like the sun, and then later on we see the bride of of Christ coming down the new jerusalem dressed like a bride for her husband and i i think that is a good way to think of these uh gifts that god gives to his church uh it would look kind of boring if it was all um if all if all she had were just diamond rings covering her whole body the same the same gift is mm-hmm. given over and over uh no she has a variety of gifts she has Earrings, and she has makeup, and she has uh, a gown, and, and jewelry, and sho- and fancy shoes. Um, if if it was all if it was all fancy shoes, that would be a, a very odd looking uh, beautiful woman. Um, but no, she she has a variety of gifts from God.
1: Yeah, that made me think of uh, the other night. I had to set up a Zoom call for our members that our president wants to have a financial audit of the congregation just to be able to say, hey, these are the way things work. And I think it's a good thing. And I did let him know ahead of time, I'll set up the call, but I don't want to be a part of it. Uh, And my treasurer understands it because I said, Greg, for 19 years, you know I haven't paid attention to anything having to do with finances. It's just... That's not my gift. Thankfully, there were five people on that Zoom call that have those gifts. And because they're in the church and they're doing them as Christians, they're they're spiritual gifts. And thank God for them because they're doing those things so that it allows you and I to do the things that we were trained to do. So I guess the last thing is... How can we encourage people to use their spiritual gifts for our congregation and sin, And what does that do if people start using their gifts? It goes back to what I
0: just said a moment ago, just that it adorns the church and it makes, it makes the church look beautiful. And um, how can we encourage?
1: Well, I, How do you think we can encourage them? Well, you and I had a conversation on Monday about this with uh with our teens of instead of getting our teens together just for a big event that it helps to encourage them to be involved with their families, but also we talked about uh getting them involved in service projects and how many teens do you have going with you on your soccer trip two two okay and i I've got I, t- I started texting last Sunday our our teens at Water of Life to do our soccer camp, and I've already got ten, and I'll probably get twenty teens out there, which is just fantastic. And in between, then we'll have because uh, that'll be the first week of August. We'll also have a couple of work days at our two campuses, and a lot of our teens are going to be there. And I, I think they're they want to hang out and do some we'll go bowling or do whatever. Uh, and I'll do those things with them as their as their youth pastor. But more than that, it's uh, encouraging them in their spiritual gifts. And uh, and I think too, now that we have our second pastor, uh, I'm going to be asking the teens to be to sing for that service again. To sing, we are singing, because that was just fantastic when we had what was it like 30 to 35 teens singing and playing for our youth service. But it, those are those are the teens. But just all of our adults and that's where God has blessed us with that in-reach pastor. When I talked to him about his call, which he sent his letter today, accepting the call. So that was good. And that he'll be meeting with our members, encouraging them to come to make use of the means of grace, word and sacrament here at water of life, but then training them to use their, I think discover their spiritual gifts and then use their spiritual gifts because I think a lot of times we as pastors, we just kind of hope we're going to have leaders in the church that they're leaders either born that way or they're that way in their business. And then we plug them into our church council and elsewhere. But we don't always do a very good job of training people to be leaders. And that's what we're hoping that uh, Pastor Klusmeyer will be able to do for us. It, I would just add that
0: um, when you say the word encourage, that you that you actually do, and I'm not saying you, but just anybody in general. Um, I I think what happens a lot is you get a lot of the talk about, well, you know, it's only 20% of the members of the congregation who are doing 70% of the work, and that all may be well and good and true, but um, I think if you can if you can encourage people without guilting them into service in the church and and saying well why don't you know why don't you lift your end of the load or something like that um it it's absolutely legitimate and true that people are kind of just coasting and letting other people do the heavy lifting of church work but i think it will be more productive if you can um show the the benefits of service to your church and um, and encourage, in, the word encourage just by itself means to you know, put courage into somebody. And I think a lot of times that might be what holds people back is that they are nervous that they're going to mess it up or they're fearful of uh, looking stupid. And, uh, and, and showing them in a safe environment that they can do this would be a, a way to counteract that.
1: Right. And then tying it in with the gospel lesson of god promises jesus promises in that gospel lesson of pouring out his living water which is the spirit he'll give you what you need to accomplish what you're you're doing all right so we'll wrap it up here this is michael zarling and because it's pentecost with the flames of fire it's lightening my fire Uh, let the one who is thirsty come let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift stay thirsty my friends and drink deeply from the water of life